Good morning, good afternoon, whenever this comes to you. I am Will. Kevin Rogue. And we are sitting today with Ronnie Rios, the bastard son. Go ahead and introduce yourself, my friend. I am indeed the bastard son, Ronnie Rios. Hijo del... Uh, I fucked up my own nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a bang, uh, I love it. Uh, no, I'm trying to add this new moniker and I, I'm... You know, I'm I'm like fake Cuban, so like I don't speak Spanish very well. So it's like <laughs> it's supposed to be hijo de bruja, but I always want to say hijo del bruja. I don't know why. Um, I so yeah. I think that's just nature telling you what to actually go with now, and <laughs> just ride with it. Bruja. I, just, <laughs> I love how uh, you put that in bruja. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I got it from like I'm I'm leaning into this new thing where um, <clears throat> you guys watch the Marvel movies? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Some people get contentious about that. They're like, "Fuck Marvel." Uh, um, <laughs> no, but uh, <clears throat> not to make like a long-winded thing out of it. But uh, I relate very heavily to Thor's character, not because I'm one of these dudes from Wisconsin who thinks he's a Viking, um, but because uh, there's the scene in Endgame uh, where he goes to talk to his mom, and he already knows his mom is dead. And so this is a weird conversation he's having with it. And I related to that moment so much because it was, uh, you know, uh, the conversation he has with her is a conversation I would think I would have with my mom if I could talk to her again. Uh, my mom died about a year before Endgame came out. And, um, you know, the relationship he has with her, she says something that I feel like my mom would say to me, which is, uh, you know, because he talks about I'm a failure. I, I didn't live up to anything I was supposed to be. And she says, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. And it's like, you know, just be you. Just whatever it is that you're going to be, just be that. And, um, you know, and she always talked about how she was a witch and she was raised by witches. You can't fool me, boy. Da, da, da. And my mom had a similar mentality. She was a big, like, Stevie Nicks fan and everything. And she was very earthy and shit. And uh, she always joked that, if she had been a teenager when I was a teenager, she would have been a hot topic goth. <laughs> and my mom is also the reason I'm a wrestler. My mom was a big wrestling fan, famously dated Harley Race. That was her big claim to fame. Um, wow. um, and she's the reason I know what wrestling is. She was having me watch it when I was like three years old and she never like discouraged it. She was like, yeah, you know, watch it, enjoy it, you know, she definitely tried to talk me out of becoming a wrestler, but once I became a wrestler, you know, suddenly there wasn't a match I couldn't get her to go to. Like she loved watching me wrestle. Um, so yeah. So uh, around the same time, all that was happening um, in hearts wake, this band I really like came out with a song called son of a witch. And they have this chorus line where it's like, I'm the son of a witch. You failed to burn. That song's a just, bop, by the way. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> that whole band is a bop. Um, but yeah, so like all of that, all those ideas swirling around in my brain of like all that identity. And um, I looked it up because, again, I'm fake Cuban, so I don't really speak Spanish. But I looked up, how do you say son of a witch in Spanish? And it was hijo de bruja. And I was like, that has a good ring to it. I like that. Yeah, it, does. So, it really does. Hijo de bruja. Ronnie Rios. Now, how did that conversation go when like you said you she didn't want you to or wanted to talk you out of becoming a wrestler? How did that how did that play out? Um, I think it was because, you know, my mom was her all of her knowledge of wrestling is from the 80s. And she was firsthand watching these guys like do a bunch of coke and bleed <laughs> and just not give a shit about anyone but themselves. There's a and, uh, you know, I don't think she wanted that for me. Also, part of it was at the time that I decided this, I was about 22 and I had flunked out of college a bunch of times. I uh, hadn't really ever held down a good job. And, you know, she was just like, really? Like, I had done a bunch of band stuff, all the you know DIY tour stuff. And she was just like, really? Is this it? Is this the new thing like that you're going to do for six months and then fit and flake out of? To the point where she told me, all right, fine. You want to do this? You have to pay for it. I am not giving you a single dime for your wrestling school, for your gear, for anything. And I was like, okay. And I remember my tuition ultimately was about two grand. 
And I had, I had done a good job of saving money to pay for it, but it came to my last payment and I was about 200 bucks short. And I told her, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm 200 bucks short. Not because I was trying to get the money from her. I was just telling her like, yeah, I'm frustrated about this. And she goes, oh, that's, that's all you need. And she just immediately hands me $200. And she was, I was like, I thought you weren't going to pay for my school. And she's like, I mean, I wasn't, but you, you, you backed up your talk. So here you go. So that was my mom's whole thing was just like, whatever you do, just do it. Just don't half-ass it. Just put your whole ass into it. Uh, and so if I remember correctly, you traded with Jay Lethal, right? Or do I have that miscorrect? You are a thousand percent correct. And I always like to make a very clear distinction about that because I think a lot of guys will say, oh, I was trained by Seth Rollins or I was now guys coming from the Nightmare Factory or like oh, I was trained by Cody. Uh, or they'll, you know, they don't really do that, but they'll say like, oh, I was trained at Nightmare Factory, which is saying I went to Cody Rhodes school, but QT Marshall trained me or someone other else trained me. I went to Seth Rollins school, but, you know, uh, this other person trained me. I was trained by hand personally by Jay Lethal. Like he didn't have anyone else. Like he would have guest people come in. Like I had. I always say that I come from this real blue chip class. Um, and that's not to say that I'm the blue chipper. I, I think I was like the bottom of the barrel. But um, but you were in I, the barrel. I was in the barrel. I was in the barrel. Uh, it was like me, Hunter Law, Snoop Strikes, Tor- Troy Hollywood, uh, Aspen Rose, Aria Blake. I came from this blue chip class because we were personally trained by Jay. He would get in there, bump with us, show us everything, answer all our questions. And then he would bring in guest people. I got hands-on training from Samoa Joe. I Ooh. got a lot of hands-on training from Angelina Love. She's the reason I can do a side headlock takeover. Okay. Um, I got hands-on training from Truth Martini, from Jimmy Jacobs, Davey Richards. Um, just tons of people that would come in just to shoot the shit. And they love wrestling so much that they'd be like, Fuck it, I'm going to show these kids how to do something. Cedric Alexander, I have a famous story with Cedric Alexander. He recognizes me every time I see him because <laughs> uh, we were doing arm drags and I could not take an arm drag. Or no, it wasn't taking arm drags. It was giving them. I could not give him an arm drag without headbutting him. Um, like, it was just, I, I would, to the point where he looked at me in the face and was like, are you mad at me? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> and uh, so to this day, I'll take an arm drag. If somebody wants to do arm drags, I'll take them, but I do not give arm drags because I will headbutt you. Let's uh, sidebar this real quick. How do you feel about what's happened with Cedric? Because I think one of the biggest mistakes made on main roster WWE was splitting up the Hurt Business in the fashion that they did because I much more enjoyed Cedric and Shelton being a part of that group than getting the, you know, all the different girls that we ultimately know are just trying to get a legit job in the industry as we saw the first double debut uh the other week so yeah it's to have so much talent and then just to have a really like lame runoff feud with between the two of them and i don't think i've seen cedric since then if correct me if i'm wrong yeah i mean i I haven't seen anything from them it, it was just pointless because it's like if you're going to maintain this relationship with mvp you can do the girls you can do the fucking celebration and still have cedric and um uh, Shelton in his corner I think maybe the idea was and this is just me speculating I think the idea was that they wanted less goons around Bobby because they wanted this idea that Bobby is so powerful he doesn't need help like he can do it all on his own he doesn't have to cheat like if we all remember he got a I don't know if you would call it clean but it was a pretty clean victory over Drew at Mania. he did like, I mean, I know MVP kind of interfered, but all MVP did was like, just like stand up and be like, hey, what's up? And then he gets the hurt lock on him and he's fucking out. So it's like, and then, you know, we watched Money in the Bank. Fucking murdered Kofi Kingston. <laughs> they Brock lesnar him. I don't, wh- who did Kofi piss off? I mean, all I'm saying is I hope that Biggie's going to get some retribution. Like, I would like to think that that's the reason they did this. Like, don't, like don't but that's besides the point um in terms of cedric yeah i mean cedric is 
one of the most versa uh, you know a lot they'll say people are talented they'll say people are charismatic people are good at this or whatever he is versatile that is an individual who can if you need him to be heel, he can be a heel. If you need him to be a fiery baby face, he's a fiery baby face. You need comedy, he can be funny. Uh, you need a work rate match with mat work and like technical skill, he's got that. You need a high fly lucha match, he's got that. You need just a good six minute WWE TV match, he can do that. Like that man can literally do everything. And it just sucks that like, I think that happens to a lot of guys in that system is that if you're too good at everything, then they never want to do anything with you because you're just always an option. It's like, oh, we'll do something with Cedric later. He's so good. He's so good. I think that happened a little bit to Ricochet. It's like, oh, he's so good. We don't, we don't need to worry about him. We'll, we'll figure something out for him. Whereas like they tend to, it's almost like that um, when you're a parent and you have all these kids, you pay more attention to the kids that need your attention than the kids who seem well-adjusted. So it's like, you know, you know, so I think Cedric got like middle child a little bit where it's like, you know, he's doing fine in school. He's not getting in trouble with the cops. I don't think he's doing drugs, you know, so it's like you kind of ignore him. But in reality, it's like he still needs attention. You still need to do something with him. That's a that's a fantastic analogy, man. I love that. Yeah, and I I think that was a perfect way to put it, because just like you said, like they because they're so well adjusted. What's the point? Like we need to put focus on that. And I feel like WWE's constantly in the state where they're like, Hey, we're aware that the product isn't where it should be. We need to make changes. Like how many different times have they actually just come out and been like, Hey, not so great. We're going to change. And then, you know, you're constantly in this form. Like here's another good analogy. It's like when you have a football team, that's been trash. Perfect example, the Jaguars this season. And then you start putting all of these things in place to try to make them a better team or a better roster and a better show. And it's like you watch destruction. And I'm not to say that there's been destruction so far from what I have seen. WWE is kind of going back up the slope, but I never hold my breath with them anymore. I've learned I've been burned. I've been a Bucks fan. It's like the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so you have all these people and it's, now with all these releases, WWE's not really stock or like stockpiling people anymore, but then you still have these people and it's, you're starting to see them come back out though. Like Cedric, like I said, has been kind of kept around in a dark corner, but like you brought up Ricochet. We just saw Ricochet. Do you think now that they're really trying to put a focus on not having dead end stories and that they're bringing these people out of the world work that we're going to start seeing people like Ricochet be utilized more? Um, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I can't, I, I've given up trying to understand WWE's booking. Um, I think, you know, what we fail to realize is, um, okay, let me, I'm gonna put it this way. Yeah. So, you know that Ricochet had a, almost got a job like way before, like in like 2014. Mm-hmm. You know why he didn't get a job in 2014? Not off the top of my head. So uh, go ahead and fill me in. Because uh, they signed Neville. Mm. And the quote given to Ricochet was, I already have one of you. And Mm. so, you know, yeah, Ricochet had a great showing in the Money in the Bank, but he had a showing doing exactly what they see him as, which is he's a high flyer. He's a little, he's the, he's, it's a circus. So it's like, we need the tightrope act. And but that's never Vince is never going to push that as his main event. You know, the main event's always the lion tamer. And um and the thing is is like, you know, uh WWE's the way they do things is just like people have roles. It's not see, I think that's the difference between AEW and WWE. And that, don't get me wrong, this isn't me saying I love AEW because I actually have a lot of issues with AEW. Well, I'm gonna ask you about that in a minute, but um one thing I think they do well is that WWE, their idea of booking is we have all these archetypes, we have all these roles, we have all these storylines we want to try to do. And then they cast people based on their roster of like, oh, let's put Drew in this. Let's do this with Big E. Let's do this with uh, Naya. You know, we just, you know, they kind of just, they have a set idea and then they're just casting actors for that idea. AEW, 
they do it the other way around, which is they look at their roster and they're like, who's on our roster? What are they good at? What are their characters? And then they book based on the roster they have. It's like, okay, uh, I'm going to put Darby in. I'm going to do this with Darby because this is what Darby would do. Or I'm going to do this with Hangman because this is what Hangman would do. And, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's how you have to book wrestling is you can't book it like a movie where you just wrote a script and we cast actors and everybody's interchangeable. You have to write a script based on the actors you have. And so, because the best wrestling, like the best wrestling storylines are when the actors involved being the wrestlers are just playing versions of themselves. Um, because the whole idea is that we're supposed to be, you know, obviously the kayfabe is dead. We're not tricking anyone to thinking this is real, but what makes it gripping and what makes it submersive and like entertainment and, and effective is when you can like kind of suspend your disbelief and just really get engrossed in the live action in front of you of like, yeah, I know that this is scripted. I know that, you know, uh, hangman is predetermined to win this match. But I really feel like that's what Hangman would do in this situation, you know? Um, and, you know, it's a lot like the Marvel movies. Like we talked a little bit about the Marvel movies. I think one of the reasons Marvel has been so successful is because they, you know, the way the MCU started was, you know, they had sold a bunch of their rights off film rights and they only had a limited collection of characters left to play with. So they were like, okay, we have to book a cinematic universe based on these like five characters we have left. You know, we got Iron Man, we got Hulk, we got Captain America, we got Black Widow, we got Hawkeye. And it's like, all right, what would we, what would we do with those characters? And that's why it's successful because you watch those movies and yeah, little nerds can pop up and you're like, well, actually, Iron Man, blah, 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 or actually Captain America, blah, blah, blah. but at the end of the day, it feels authentic. It feels like, yeah, no, that's, that's what Steve Rogers would do. Or that's what, that's what Black Widow would do. And I think, that's that's the big difference well, so, like when you're watching a movie a lot of the, <laughs> the best movies are ones that you forget you're watching a movie mm-hmm. and they they draw you in like that and same thing with the wrestling match i think you nail it right on the head is that you you forget that you're watching something that is predetermined because they've gripped you in that same that same sense well now leads me on to my next question too because like even we talked to jake sterling last week and he was saying like hey like i don't really know what's up you know i'm open for any opportunity but wwe would always be a big goal you know what i mean so for you with how you just put it like and not to put you in a corner but (laughs) what is your end game as far as speaking of marvel movies for uh where you want to go and where you see yourself like where wrestling is your full-time job and you're making more money than you would ever expect i don't know if that's a good way to put it but i think you know what i'm what i'm trying to say um i don't think there's a spot for me in wwe um i did i you know and this isn't me working for wwe but i did some extra work for them um last year and um just seeing kind of how their system works uh i'm not saying i wouldn't do it it's not like fuck WWE like if WWE wants to give me a job they can give me a job um but I you know I am a decent wrestler I I'm you know I I, I'm decently sized I decently can move I can put a match together just no arm drags no arm drags yeah I do Japanese (laughs) arm drags so those are fun um but I don't know if I would ever be like like, if you were to use me, you got to use me for what I'm good at. And what I'm good at is like, honestly, honestly, I think if I were to have a job in WWE, there's only two things I think I could realistically do. I think I could be, I could be a writer. Like I could be like someone who gets to write verbiage for people, or I could be a wrestling manager. Um, and that's not to say that I couldn't go out there and have a killer match with Seth Rollins. I couldn't go out there and have a killer match with Edge or fucking Cedric Alexander or any of these guys. I think I could do that. But I can do that once. I don't think I have the durability in me to work that grind that they do. Those guys are working four or five matches a week. They're doing TLC matches. They're doing all this crazy shit. Um 
I, I am a, I am a weekend warrior, my dude. Um, now that that being said, I'm not I'm not against the idea of trying. It's just that like I've I've made peace with the fact that like I don't think that's in the cards for me. But again, if Vince McMahon or Triple H or anybody wants to walk up to me, and goes here's an NXT contract, I'd be like, oops, sorry. Um, I'd be like, fuck it, whatever, I'll give it a shot. You want to if you want if you want to bet on me, bet on me. But um, I don't know. I think uh, at this point, when I got into wrestling, I did it just because I had to do it. Um, I wasn't going to live with myself if I didn't at least try. And um, honestly, I have accomplished way more than I thought I was going to accomplish. Uh, I've wrestled in a bunch of states. I've gotten to wrestle against some really high caliber people. Uh, Won a few belts here and there. Um, you currently on, have some gold too, right? I am currently the Tampa Bay Pro Wrestling Heavyweight Champion, um, which is cool because that's my home promotion. That's the promotion that all of Jay's students filter into. So it's nice to like get that recognition from you know my true peers of like, hey, you know, we think you're the guy right now. And um, and again, like I think, I think if I if I were to work for any national promotion, I think I could maybe work for like a AEW or a, a ring of honor just because again, their schedules are shorter and it's, it's more emphasis on what is it that makes you unique and you special? And what do you bring to the table and how are we going to use that as opposed to, um, just being another cog in the machine. I mean, that's that's really what I felt like when I was backstage at WWE. Was just like, this is a giant machine that is just filtering cogs through it, and it doesn't matter if you're me, some schmuck from the Indies, or if you're fucking Braun Strowman. You're just a cog, and we will replace you when we see fit. And and I'm not even saying that to be detrimental. Obviously, it's working for them. They're a billion dollar fucking company. Um, it just makes me feel like. I, I don't belong there. No, I, if I'm being honest with you, especially how you view wrestling, I think you'd be really good fit for NWA. I don't know if you have any strong feelings one way or the other about them, but yeah, I feel like that is somewhere you could really fucking shine. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've seen some of their shows. I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with, I, I don't know. I mean, I, if, again, that's one of those things where it's like, uh, I'll try anything. If you want to, if you want to book me, I'll give it a shot. Billy Corgan um, comes knocking on the door. Hey, not here about smashing pumpkins here about wrestling. <laughs> I feel like he has to make that clarification constantly. Uh, I actually, we had a conversation about this on my podcast where we talked about how um, Billy Corgan has complete. I'm like old enough to remember when Billy Corgan was a musician. <laughs> um, and like, that's not to say he stopped being a musician, but it's like, I think he's done a full turnaround in my brain where Billy Corgan is not a musician anymore. He's a wrestling promoter. And yeah. then I have to remember, oh, wait, that's right. He's in Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> yeah. And then, then you, you talk to some people they are like, yeah, the 1979 guy. And you're like, oh, yeah, the oh, yeah. 1979 guy. <laughs> and I'm old enough where he still hasn't made it full-fledged into wrestling promoter yet. He's still, oh. he's still Smashing Pumpkins in my head. So you said something that kind of poked my uh, brain a little bit. You said you were an extra or you did some extra work for WWE. Anything mm -hmm. that we could like go and clip on the Peacock, that absolute dumpster fire of a website? Uh, I don't know what episode it is, but there's an episode of SmackDown where I carry King Corbin to the ring. Oh, um, that's back when it. he's back when he was still high on life. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor fucking so, guy. funny story about that, actually. So. um. We're doing, we're going, we're, we rehearse how they want us to pick up the throne and then they want us to walk it down to the ring, put it down the ring, carry the throne back up where they want us to walk and everything. And, you know, this is live. This is live SmackDown. So as the show is going on, our segment is getting shorter and shorter and they're altering how we're doing it. So originally the way it was supposed to work was we carry Corbin to the ring. He gets off his throne, gets into the ring, cuts a promo, and then his match starts. Then it turns into, all right, uh, Corbin, cut your promo while you're on your throne being carried to the ring. And then it got cut so much that, okay, 
So we're going to walk your throne out onto the stage and then Matt Riddle's going to jump you. And then we're just hot starting the match on the stage. No promo. Just fucking let's go. Um, I'm standing in position in gorilla waiting to go out and a stage manager walks up to me and I shit you not, man, this is a billion dollar company that is about to be is broadcasting on Fox and they come up to me and go, Hey man. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen out there. I don't know what any, I don't know what Seamus or any of these guys might be thinking, but I just want to make sure you're prepared for anything. Basically trying to iggy me to be like, Hey, you know how to bump, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And like in my brain, I'm like, first of all, if Seamus decides, because I was in front, I'm in the very front of the throne. If Seamus decides to bro kick me, I'm going to front flip off this fucking stage. I don't care how bad it hurts. I'm getting my gift. And then I know also, um, so like the, there's a standard flat rate for appearing at, uh, for as an extra. But if anyone touches you, you get a severe bump. Like it gets, it's like you get like triple the money. Uh, Take a bump, get a bump. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, please, Seamus, please, bro, kick my dick still. Um, no, but they didn't do anything. We just we walked out. Matt Riddle attacks, Seamus attacks, and we just kind of cower, like, oh no, don't hurt us. I'd be walking back. They'd be like, hey, you look fucking weird today. Like just making all weird <laughs> comments to people. Nothing to like really piss them off in the moment to where they just you get kicked out or you're violently assaulted backstage, but just enough so they remember your ass when you're in this segment. They're like, hey, that's the fucking guy. Just take a shot. You know what I mean? It was wild to be stated a gorilla waiting to go out. And like you just see Corbin in his fucking regalia, the crown and the robe, and he's yelling at Vince from across the room. Yo, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> I just feel like that's all the time because I'm sure you know he's local to us. So, like, I just hear all these different stories of him in town, and especially at the uh, fucking meat market he goes to. I forget the name of it, but I know it for a fact because I always want to go there because they're like the only place that has Wagyu over here. But then I'm like, wait a minute, I can't afford Wagyu. Who the hell am I? Uh, that's that, what an insight. So, talk, or we've talked a lot about you, but I also know you to be a tag team wrestler. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that, my friend? Yeah, so I am one half of the Coda hashtag Demon Daddies hashtag Demon Shit. Uh, we are available on all platforms at We Are the Coda. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's been like the primary core of my career. Um, so I, I came into wrestling in 2014. Just doing singles things, uh, not really knowing what the fuck I was doing, just kind of whatever. And uh, I got hurt. Like, I almost broke my ankle in a match. And I took some time off. And then um, I came back, and that promotion I was, that I'm the champion now, Tampa Bay Pro Wrestling, they, um, they didn't know what to do with me. They couldn't get rid of me because I was a J student, but they didn't know what to do with me. So there was this other guy, his name's Caden Green. And uh, he was coming back to wrestling after a long hiatus, like three or four years. And he was doing this like Bray Wyatt gimmick, like cult leader and shit. And they're like, "Uh, yeah, we're going to have each other. You're going to have you two wrestle each other. And then you're going to like get into a feud with him and you're going to join his cult. And I was like, okay. And I thought, because at the time, this was when they were doing the Randy Orton storyline with Bray Wyatt. And I thought it was going to be something like that. Just like a temporary thing where I'm in this dude's cult and eventually I get out of it. And da, 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 da. And so we have a match. And then the next show, we're supposed to be like doing some more stuff. And the, promote, uh, the booker at the time, who uh, didn't like me uh walked up to me and goes all right yeah so we're not doing any of that uh we're not doing any of this like feud stuff you're just in a tag you're just in his cult now (laughs) and you're just his lackey and i was like oh okay and i guess because they needed to fill out the tag division so like we just started having tag matches and you know him and i both florida boys so we kind of have that dusty mentality of like if they want if they want a fucking demon cult, we're gonna fucking we're gonna lean in. 
polka dots sure let's fucking go um so we got matching gear we started we came up with the name dakota um we started just coming up with bullshit the hashtag demon shit was just um that was just, we were supposed to do a run-in and we didn't know what we were gonna do and then he was just like what do you want to do out there and i was like i don't know demon shit and we just started saying it to each other demon shit demon shit demon shit and then that just became the thing so now that's the thing the uh, name dakota where does that where does that drive from that was my idea um basically because him and i are both band guys like we have both been in a bunch of bands and um i knew coda coda is used in all kinds of creative expressions but it's it's mainly a music term so it just means like a signifier of the end which basically like in a in a music sheet when you see a coda that means like this is about to be over so we thought like oh that's cool like it's like a like a demonic like sad kind of post-apocalyptic type thing so like the coda and uh so then like all of our shit was like music stuff like uh our finish our tag finisher is called end refrain um we had a move called aviso de muerte which is spanish for death note um you know and just all that kind of like always there's always like vague music references and all of our stuff well, I, I've even noticed too, like even your most recent promos, you're still using like instrumental tracks behind them. Like, uh, I think I noticed some issues, if I remember correctly. It's just, yeah, um, yeah, no, dude, I, I, uh, I'm still a fucking obsessive music fan. Um, so like, I'm always looking for like new music to put in my promos. Um, uh, thankfully, there's been this trend lately with a lot of metalcore and hardcore bands where they they're re-releasing all their albums as instrumentals yep and so i was like oh that's perfect because then i don't have to like do weird editing with the audio levels it i can just play it and then you can still hear me talking and you're just in the clear yeah yeah (laughs) i love that so and then now you guys you have your own podcast you mentioned it uh it's both of you though correct it's actually three people so i'm in um apologies for my throat I'm in a, a a little weird stable called the Mighty Moping Gothic Rangers. And, uh, <laughs> wait, wait, the Mighty Moping, Moping, Gothic, Moping Rangers. Gothic Rangers. Oh, we we understand because of wrestling. <laughs> Trust me, we have to explain or repeat ourselves so many times. We get it. Um, so uh, that's myself, Caden Green, uh, Alex Todd, and our demonic sister Chelsea Durden. Okay. Um, so. Myself, Caden, and Chelsea do a podcast called Demon Road Diaries, where we um, sometimes it's just us shooting the ship, but most of the time it's us bringing on a guest to uh, talk about um, kind of their history, like their love of wrestling, get any weird stories out of them as possible, and just um, have fun. I love that. And so you guys also just recently uh, interviewed Eric Redbeard. When we were going over uh, some notes before we started this, Kevin tried to get the whole interview out of you for that <laughs> side of that. So let's actually get it because I know Kevin's been wanting to hear about that. Yeah, I well, like I was telling you, uh, from where I am, I'm up in Minnesota and our home promotion here, our big home promotion is First Wrestling. And prior to that, it was Midwest Pro. And he came up, I saw his first couple few matches when he was just coming up. And we booed the just booed the piss out of him every single time. I mean, I remember screaming at him when he did a sidewalk slam and went, well, we can add move number four to the list. Like, we, we, we just had so much fun just crushing him. And then, you know, obviously we cheer him as he as he progresses. And then he, he got he got to the big game. So I'm just wondering how that how that interview went. How was I was sitting down and having a chat with him? Good, good. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have like a lot of time with him. I think we had like 45 minutes to talk to him, which I mean, as more than generous of him to give us his time. I just uh, wish we could have talked longer because uh, after the interview was over, there was like several things. I was like, oh, we didn't talk about this. I didn't ask him about this. And um, But no, it was a good interview. Um, definitely a lot of insight into his journey of like how his time in WWE was like how things happen, why things happen. Um, you know, uh, he, uh, I could tell he's like, he's, he's really focused on like his acting right now. He really wants to be an actor. He really wants to make a career out of, uh, doing that. And I think WWE kind of, 
I wouldn't say killed his love of wrestling, but it definitely like like hobbled it a little bit. Um, but I think I think that I think that'll come back in time. Whenever we talked about like Japan or um any other like opponents that he kind of wants, like he really wants to wrestle Koto Ibushi. And I'm just like, yeah, I'll pay a lot of money to see that. Um so I think like, you know, it'll be interesting to see where his career goes. He kept saying, like, oh, I'm only wrestling for fun. I'm only wrestling for fun. Um, so like the few promotions you see him pop up in is just him having a shit and a giggle. But um I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if he can go back to Japan. I think I think there is a there is a Hoss Gaijin run in Eric Redbeard. I want to see that fucker go to go to Dragon Gate, go to Noah, go to DDT, go to New Japan, All Japan, where whoever will take him and just rip some fuckers' heads off. Because like it's one thing to be a big dude, but it's another thing to be a big dude who can move. And a lot of guys will say, oh, I'm a, I'm a hoss. I can move. I'm like, can you, though? Because I've seen you run. It's not pretty. Um, but that fucker can go. That fucker can move. So, And he's intimidating as shit. Um, especially now he's like fully tatted and everything. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm looking forward to Eric Redbeard's like New Japan strong run. <laughs> Dude, he, he very much is one of those people that's primed for a rebirth. And I... It's a shame that he's one of those people that really didn't get any recognition. You know, like he was released and everyone was like, ah, yeah. And it's like, oh, you know know what's funny about that is he's got so many weird trivia notes about him. Like he has a pay-per-view pinfall victory on Roman Reigns. And he was also the Rock's last match. That is right. How the fuck did you do that? (laughs) How did you do that and then manage to... Still be underappreciated, underrated, underutilized. How did you do all that? And fucking Jesus. I really feel like big guys, because everyone, you know, talks that Vince's favorite kind of wrestler are the big guys. I feel like there's shiny toys to him, though, and he gets bored way too quickly. And like people make the argument, like, oh no, you know, look at Brock or look at Roman. They're still there. And it's like Roman's not really that much of a big guy, but like I'll give you Brock, but. Brock's been off of TV for two years. Now he's over in fucking Skyrim, dude. Um, but like, meat. he is. Um, so you have these big guys, though, that flutter. Like, Keith Lee is a perfect example. And yeah, I've heard, you know, it's a legal battle. But even then, like, you kind of said this thing about this billion-dollar company. And they're like, hey, they don't even know if you know how to take a bump, but they're fucking paying you. It's Keith Lee. Like, you think someone would have the common sense to go, hey, we're going to copyright your name. And he'd be like, oh, don't worry. I already got the trademark going. You would think that would have been a conversation that was had when he got signed. Exactly. Like, hey, can we have the copyright to your name? And if he said no, then you name him something else before he even debuts. And how does that not happen? You know, it's and then you have. But I think the whole copyright situation with WWE is a mess in the first place. Like, I feel like sometimes they just really try to get names to spite people like look at all of the dusty shit like and i know they can lean be like yeah we have the wcw catalog fuck you <laughs> well you know the thing about w- uh, wwe's like copyright history is that like you know they've been a lot of weird uh you know what's funny about wwe is they've actually like have like set precedent for copyright law like because that's how knee deep in this bullshit they are like okay do you guys know the story about ecw's copyright it, I want to say I do, but I, for the purpose of the fact that we're on a podcast, hit us with it anyway. So I might get some of the details wrong, but basically, um, so in the invasion angle, do you guys remember the invasion angle? Of course. So not that the, not that we needed it because there was already too many belts going around. But did you ever wonder why there was never any ECW championships involved in that? Was it a copyright thing? It was a copyright thing. So basically. Um, when Paul went to go work for Vince, you know, and they started doing, you know, he files for bankruptcy and da 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 da, and he and then Vince decides, all right, I'm gonna buy ECW because Vince was um, one of the creditors on the bankruptcy law. Um, but the thing was, is that like, um, I don't remember if it was like, I don't know if, if Paul 
Paul didn't file. I don't know if he filed for personal bankruptcy or if he filed for bankruptcy on the LLC. But basically, there was this loophole where Paul didn't own the copyright to ECW anymore because when he filed for bankruptcy, it went to his creditors and WWE wasn't like the principal creditor. I think like Paul owed more money to other people and, um, and WWE actually got in trouble using the ECW logos on television. That's part of the reason they started really pushing the Alliance, the Alliance logo and the Alliance idea is because they didn't really want to mention ECW anymore because they had to, uh, they were still in court about it. And there's like this famous line from WWE's lawyer when the judge asked them, why did you think you owned the copyright on this? And their lawyer said, well, to be fair, there are so many creditors and there's so many, um, <laughs> there's so many hands in this pot. ECW's copyright was basically a couch left on the corner. And we just tried to pick it up. That was a legal statement made in court. Um, that EC- and, uh, but it worked. And they basically, the judge was basically like, listen, if you're willing to pay out all of ECW's creditors, you can have the copyright. And so ECW, so they paid off everybody the ECW. They literally paid off Paul's debt because they wanted that ECW credit. So their copyright so bad that they paid off all of Paul. They, Paul Heyman was able to get WWE to pay off all the millions of dollars of debt that he had gotten himself and his family into. And to That's think, wild. he tried to leave one point. He tried to fucking leave. He was gone for like five years. They're like, nah, motherfucker, you come back. We remember what happened. Yeah. Uh, that, remi- that reminds me of the Slim Jim story, though. Do you know about that? Yeah, because the sponsorship wasn't for WWE. It was for Macho Man. Exactly. And so then they were like, oh, well, we still need the sponsorship. So they kept on trying to plug and play people. Yeah. Like Bam Bam did one. Diesel did one. Um, and then and then they went to. The, and that was one of the reasons uh, Eric Bischoff always said, like, I got I got Randy Savage for free. Because I I was getting so much money from Slim Jim to have him on my television that it paid off his contract. Yep. <laughs> oh, genius. Yeah. genius. <laughs> so before we get out of here, I know both of you guys are dying. Uh, do you have anything? I know you have some stuff coming up. So you're wrestling for GCW, not that GCW, Generation Championship Wrestling, right? I remember the first time I went to one of their shows because they're like kind of a local promotion. They're just now coming back full time in Tampa, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first time I went to one of their shows, they're like, yeah, not that GCW. You know, that was, I could talk for hours about that whole debacle. Um, but yeah, uh, Generation Championship Wrestling, uh, not Game Changer. Uh, yeah, I have a match with them September 10th. Uh, it is uh, Unity. I think that's the name of the show. Uh, Unity. Yes. Um, I'll be tagging with my tag partner, Caden Green. We'll be challenging for the GCW Tag Team Championships against Culture Inc. Uh, if you want to catch up on any of that, because it's actually been a pretty cool storyline that we're doing with them. Uh, had a bit of a banger match uh, a couple weeks ago with the Gifted, uh, uh, you know, kind of really establishing what's going on there. Um, but you can find all that on Title Match Network, um, as well as clips on YouTube and stuff like that. Um, and then also, uh, August 7th, I'll be wrestling for Tampa Bay pro wrestling. It's over the top, which is our 40 man Royal rumble style match. Um, winner gets a shot at me or whoever walks away with the Tampa Bay pro wrestling heavyweight title. I know I'll be defending it against, uh, Steven Frick, one of my classmates, uh, former ACW champion, uh, should be, should be a good, little bit of banger. I love wrestling Frick. Um, that will be at the Campbell Park Rec Center in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, and if you want to catch up on what's going on in Tampa Bay Pro Wrestling, uh, everything we've done in the last like two years is available for free to watch on Fight TV. So there's definitely plenty of content to take care of. Uh, and then obviously your podcast. So do you want to plug where everyone can find you real quick? Yeah. So if you're looking for my podcast, you can find us uh, Demon Road Diaries. We're available on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we are available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, the Anchor app itself. Um, I think there's a couple other ways you can listen to it, but those are the main ones. 
Uh, and if you're looking to see what I'm up to or what's going on with me, I'm at Bastard Son Rios uh, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and TikTok. Do you want to clarify the heartthrob situation right now? Because Kevin earlier was like, he's like, I, was I gonna thought- say, I got two, I got two questions for oh, you yeah. before I let you go. And 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 one of them is definitely because we got on and, and he started talking about you. And I was like, all right, so um, the heartthrob, and then or no, he says the bastard son. I was like, oh fuck. Wait, are you sure? Because I got the heartthrob written down, and I like how did tell me about so, heartthrob to the bastard son? Because that's, oh, that's no, a spectrum, there, brother. There's no, there's no story there. Um, that's a, uh, there, I don't know. There's like this thing on wrestling Twitter, which I'm vaguely participate in, which is like changing your name to just whatever dumb joke you got going on that day. For a while, I had myself listed at five eight Ronnie Rios, um, <laughs> because uh, so. Like, okay, to be- explain that joke. Uh, I thought I was shoot six feet tall. I thought I was a, I always told people like, I'm not six one. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. I am, I am a shoot six feet tall because I always thought my brother, who's like a little bit shorter, a little bit taller than me is, uh, was six one. And then also I had all these guys in locker rooms telling me like, yeah, I'm five ten, and I'm like towering over them. So I'm like, okay, I must be six feet tall. And then my brother was like, I was talking to him one day and I mentioned it and he goes, I'm not six one. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, you are. No, no, I've never been six one. And I was like, how tall are you, Steven? And then we measured him and he was five, ten and a half. And then I measured myself and I was five, ten. And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. That makes sense. So, uh, but for a while I was joking that like, I wanted my gimmick to be that I'm a, I'm, I'm like, I'm five, eight. You can't tell me otherwise. And then just to piss off all these five, six dudes who are trying to tell me they're five, ten. <laughs> I was going to say, I want to know how those, like what tape measures they're using, or maybe they're going with the whole same system I think that you like, used. If I put on like my boots and if I'm standing up real straight, I might be like 5'11". But it's like, all about the posture then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But For a guy like, that is actually 5'8", I take it as a win, man. um so yeah so then uh there was this twitter account that i follow i think it's called salsa boy um that had made that joke about ted cruz's picture with the hair and the beard and uh my roommate uh i'm actually living with chelsea during it at the moment um while i'm dealing with a weird temporary housing situation she comes bursting into my room and it's like you got to see this. And she shows it to me. And then I was like, oh, we should take a picture. This would be funny. And so I hold her cell phone and she took a picture of me with my hair all long and down. And I was like, yeah, no, I look like fucking heartthrob Ronnie Rodriguez over here. <laughs> and so as a joke, I changed my Twitter name to heartthrob Ronnie Rios Rodriguez. And then I guess when I did that, Salsa Boy saw it, thought it was a shoot and retweeted me. And then everyone who's seen it thinks that like <laughs> I was legit heartthrob Ronnie Rodriguez and I gotten like called out or something. And, uh, you know, so yeah, that was a fun day on Twitter. Yeah. It confused the, it confused the hell out of me, man. Cause I'm looking like that's in my notes, heartthrob. Like, <laughs> and then Will just cracked egg and knowledge on me and I was damn near shit in my pants going, oh, I was looking at the wrong guy altogether. And then, one other question I had for you, you, you said that you talk road stories uh, in your podcast. Can you share any like just quick, real, maybe lighthearted or fun stories from the road? Something that made you laugh a lot? Uh, I got one for you because you mentioned them. Uh, I actually wrestled for first wrestling. Did you really? Yeah. Um, I'll never be back because uh, we had a really bad match with one of their tab, their top tag teams. And I'm pretty sure they 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 told Eric Cannon like never book these guys again. Oh like, no. Yeah. It's all good. I hate that guy anyway. And I've told people who it is that like like gave me a really hard time and they were all like, "Oh yeah, no, fuck that guy." Um, so um <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> How dare you? <clears throat> Jesus. Um he's Eric yeah, Cannon's so, coming for you. So yeah, it's coming. Uh so uh basically Eric Cannon booked us because we had met him a few times at Fest. And uh, we kept telling him, hey, man, we would love to come out to first whenever you can have us. And I think he was kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then he saw us. We drove up to Mania 35 in New York and he saw us there. And like he was like, you guys came all the way to New York for nothing. And I was like, well, you know, it's Mania. We're trying to network. 
And he was like, all right, all right. So he like liked to see that fire in us. So he booked us to work. Um, it wasn't like a legit first show. Like it wasn't like, you know, a standard card promoted. It was that he had booked uh, these uh, festival gigs where there was like all these beer festivals happening in one day between like Minnesota and St. Paul. And um, he was like, yeah, so what you'll do is you'll go to the show. You'll go to one show. You'll work however many matches you can. Like you work multiple times and then you drive to the other show and then work whatever you can over there. So um, we're at the St. Paul show, which by the way, pro tip for pro wrestlers, if you're working a Midwestern territory, have beer koozies in your merch bin because they will buy them. Um, which I also found out one of the reasons we sold out of our beer koozies was that I guess in Minnesota, uh, if it's in a koozie, it's not open container. So well, that's a lie, but <laughs> that's what we were told. That's I'm why just, we light bulb though. We need beer koozies, Kevin. I'll buy 10. Um, yep. but, uh, so, uh, had the, whatever match we had in uh, St. Paul. And then we drove to Minneapolis to work the other show. By the time we got there, no like everybody had worked like six times nobody wanted to wrestle us so we were like fuck what are we gonna do and one guy had rode with us up there i'm gonna shout him out his name's dick danger he just came back to wrestling stuntman extraordinaire dick danger um and we were like dick do you want to work a handicap match and he was like yeah sure i'll do whatever so we come out we cut this promo in front of the crowd being all heels and then Dick Danger comes out with his fucking evil Knievel helmet and he's all fucking pumped up. And the crowd immediately was just like, fuck yeah. And like my proudest wrestling accomplishment was getting about 600 drunk hipsters in Minneapolis to chant, we want Dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, are, they're, they're a hell of an atmosphere, man. That's for sure. If if you could get one of those picture frames, like the skylight ones, that just have like pictures and videos, like just have that scene in your bathroom. I feel like the bathroom is the most appropriate place because you know the whole concept of it. But like you just come in, wake up in the morning, and you get to be reminded of that each and every single day. I'd live for it, but that might just be me. Was Kevin one of those six hundred uh, drunk hipsters? <laughs> Ooh, possibly. Uh, no, I, I, I've cheered a lot of awfully strange things at first wrestling shows. Uh, we want Dick. I unfortunately was not in the crowd for that one. Damn. Misconnection. We got to get you in there, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's been a lot of wild times at, at first wrestling, man. W when was this about like what year? 2019. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So the summer of 2019 also fun fact. So, uh, we're all good old Florida boys. So. I know what a summer feels like and I'm out there. This is like July, 2019 and I'm out here wrestling outside. It's like a hundred degrees. I don't fucking feel it. I'm just like, yeah, it's hot, but it's not like, you know, in Florida when it's hot, it's like, it feels like that uncle, that big fat uncle who gives you that hug that goes on for too long and just like keeps slapping your back. Dude, you know? I swear I had like change breaks like last week. And so I had brought him into my, fucking garage and of course you know like i'm not venting out my garage all day who does that shit so i get in the garage and i it's like 900 degrees in there and it's just like an average summer day and then of course two hours into it as i'm finishing up then we have a category five hurricane and then 45 minutes of that goes right back to 900 degrees outside gotta love it so but like i had the same experience when i was like when i've even gone to north carolina they're like daytime even though it'll be up there and the number is like 80 90 you're like this is 72 on an average floor today but uh i just remember when we were done for the day i'm like getting changed and i'm like why do i feel like such ass like why do i feel like i'm burnt toast right now and then i realized i was sunburned and i didn't even feel it because it's like again it was like it's whatever it's fucking it's mid it's midwest this is nothing i it's i don't give a shit but yeah like it, it's it, it like it i i literally got burnt because i couldn't feel the heat because that's how used to humidity i am so is that why you never ended or did you ever end up to the second set of shows or was it just the one set of shows 
that you no, made. we were that's what i'm saying we worked the first set of shows oh, okay okay and, now then, I got you. and then by the time we got to the second set nobody wanted to wrestle us so we ended up wrestling our our okay our, our card partner so you gave him dick yeah gave him dick that's gotcha. what, what the coda does brother <laughs> by the way i don't know if i thoroughly i want to just establish this before i know like i love the coda because it is everything that i think i've ever wanted to do in wrestling which is i remember i described it once as that we're um uh we're uh uh music obsessed macabre dressed horny as fuck cuban boys so like the idea of the coda is that we're a hashtag demon sex cult um, okay but we're like we're really goofy because i think that's who i am as a person as i'm i laugh at things that's how i do and like when we talk about demons you know there's always that adage in wrestling about like oh he's got those demons you know and shit like that and uh i always thought about that like what is that like what do, what, do, what do you mean by demons and obviously we know what it means but it's just like and i always thought of it as like so like my interpretation of the coda has always been like the demons are like our struggles like it's i have really bad anxiety kaden has depression like we both suffer uh we're both like a little neurodivergent like i have dyslexia and adhd and um we struggle with like normal human interaction sometimes or like we struggle to figure out how to be normal so like the coda was just us being like we're never going to be normal so fuck it the most powerful version of myself is the one that fully embraces everything weird about myself so like um so the coda is just us blowing kisses and laughing. Like I always think of it as like it's an affront to like toxic masculinity of, of pro wrestling, where it's like um this big tough guy. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool, big tough guy. You blow a kiss at him, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, like I there's nothing you can do to scare me. Like I always think about um Dean Ambrose, and this makes me mad about like I wish Dean Ambrose had a better match with Brock Lesnar at Mania, because there was a story there. And I love, he said something to Brock that I always think of anytime I'm cutting a wrestling promo, which is, what are you going to do, Brock? You going to suplex me? <laughs> like, why would I be scared of that? I'm a wrestler. Like, yeah, it's going to hurt, but I knew this was going to hurt when we started. Yeah. You know? But that, and that's, just like you said, the best versions of wrestlers are just amplified versions of yourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, I do feel like that's missing in wrestling a lot of the times, but then you have your breakout stars like your Moxley's or Dean Ambrose's or your Eddie Kingston's who are amplified versions of themselves. And it'd be nice to see, but especially like with your little deep dive of the WWE system, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And that's why I've learned not to hold my breath. I, you know, I think Matthew from Botchamania said, said it best, which is um, when wrestling's bad, it's really bad. But when wrestling's good, it's the best thing in the world. So yeah. it's so it's just like, you know, <clears throat> if WWE sucks right now, whatever. Like if AEW starts to suck, whatever. If Ring of Honor sucks, if any of these promotions suck, whatever. There's so much wrestling in the world. I'm gonna find something I enjoy. Um and uh the thing is, is like, you know, WWE is always gonna be a bit of a mixed bag, you know, like last night. I hated watching Kofi Kingston get murdered. I didn't like that Rhea Ripley dropped the belt. But then watching Biggie win Money in the Bank was just like, I exploded out of my chair. I was like, ah. And it wasn't just because Faye Jackson was going to have to post her nudes, but it was just like, <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, um, so that's what I'm saying is like when wrestling's bad, it, it's like, ah, it's a drag, but it's like, when it's right, when they do it right, when it's good, it's like, ah, uh, that's the shoot it in my veins. It's just like, ah, dude. I remember coming back from my first, like at my first show, it was Mania and then the whole Mania weekend. And it's like, yeah, I went to a couple indie shows. Like I went to a GCW show um, and I went to an other GCW show. I went to both. And that's what it was even funnier. I was like, both, huh? But being back in that stadium and like yeah there were some matches for me that i was kind of like ah this is wrestlemania this year uh but then you know like bianca sasha like being a part of that moment it's just like like i went to my first like music event back like i went to that trader show like 
here in Florida, you know, we had a big show. I'm like, it's the same environment almost to a degree, I feel like, because at least why I came back into wrestling, uh, I've told the story like when I, around like 2009, 2010, I kind of fell out of love a little bit because I, I just, it wasn't cool to like wrestling. And then through actually music and like even us like i remember this is when i how i learned about your wrestling careers remember you're like yeah i'm getting trained by jay lethal and so through wrestling or not wrestling through music i've learned to fall in love with wrestling because i feel like the communities are very much the same it's a bunch of people who feel alone a lot of the time coming together and realizing actually there's a whole community behind me that's going through the same kind of thing would you agree with that oh yeah um being a musician and being in all those bands thoroughly prepared me for professional wrestling uh both the good and the bad um <laughs> i was definitely ready for politics when i showed up um what but, politics uh, in a wrestling locker room no way oh, shocker yeah it's almost like the locker room's filled with a lot of emotionally stunted maladjusted human beings <laughs> um but uh that was the other thing too is like i'm not gonna name names but there were a lot of guys in music who treated me like shit, like treated me like fucking dog shit because I was, I wasn't real hardcore. I wasn't, I wasn't going to all the super hardcore shows. I was a little sceny weenie piece of shit, like fucking metalcore bullshit. Bruh, 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 bruh. Um, and then those same guys are the ones who come to my shows and tell me how proud they are of me for doing it. And it's like, I realized that like, yeah, I'm going to take that compliment with a grain of salt because I remember you calling me, you know, gay slurs and shit like that. But it's like, yeah, like so many, I, I'm proud of myself for, I did a thing that they were too scared to do. And, um, and it, and it like, that is so much of like, what I tell people is like, you know, I, I expected a lot of people when I became a wrestler to be like, you know, what the fuck you're doing? You're wasting your life. And I'm not saying I've never gotten that statement, mm. but I, what I get way more, way more often is people just telling me, holy shit, man, that's great. Holy shit, man. You killing it. You're doing it. And it's like, people don't realize how valuable like that feeling is of like, so many people don't chase their dreams. So many people don't do the things that they're scared to do. They just do what's safe or they do what they think is expected of them. And, you know, so when you see someone break away from that and like just 100% do the thing that you weren't willing to do, like, it's just like, it's just like, it's that magical feeling of like, of like, fuck yeah, I respect that dude. I admire that dude. And maybe even gives them a little bit of like, well, fuck, if that dude can do it, I can do it, you know? And like, no. that, it, go ahead. no, 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 you, you're good. You're good. I was just saying, like, and if, if I have any goal in wrestling beyond just like my own personal um, enjoyment or connection to it, is just telling people, like, yeah, you can do it. Like, if I can do it, you can fucking do it. Like, um, <laughs> there's a big, uh, you guys know the wrestler Big Calix? Um, the yes. name sounds familiar. Uh, he had a tweet that I retweeted once, which was like, he goes, who cares if you're fat? Just start wrestling and figure out the rest later. <laughs> Well, I like, I mean, I've even expressed interest like down the line. Like, I'm more so like, if I do get into wrestling, I would rather just be a manager. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I just like you said, I couldn't do that schedule. I know myself, and like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, the money's all right, but nah, I'm good. So, but I've talked about like learning to take bumps and stuff. They're like, I, but I, I personally would just rather get in a little bit better shape for multiple reasons. And people are like, nah, nah, they've seen wrestlers way worse than you. And I'm like, are you complimenting me or insulting someone else? I don't know. <laughs> That's actually the, it, yeah, it's the backhanded compliment. I remember I had a match recently. I it was like my first title defense of my belt. And um, I was wrestling this guy named uh, Nick Abrams. And uh, Hector Guerrero was at the show. It was, okay. at this, like, it was at this like mega church. And he was like doing like a speech or something. Um, and he watched everyone's matches and critiqued all of them. And he critiqued ours. And um, he turns to my opponent. You, you there? It seems like you cut out real quick. Oh, no. Not on the Hector Guerrero. I'm, 
I'm mitching at the bit. How about you, Kev? Yeah, I'm still here. Cool, cool. Hey guys, he's frozen in time. Own it. Ooh, hello. There he is. Hey, he's you back. just he's you back. pulled a peacock on us, man. Uh, <laughs> um. Anyway, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. We're you're good. You're good. You All cut right, out great. like right when you were talking about the critiquing. Yeah, so he was critiquing everyone's matches, and he turns to my opponent and he goes, "You need to get in better ring shape." He goes, "I could tell you were winded out there." You can't look like you're in worse shape than him. And he points at me. <laughs> and like, I think what he was trying to say was because my opponent is like a, was like a muscle guy. So like, you know, his gimmick is his body. So if, like, and I've, that's never been my gimmick. So it's like, if I look like I'm doing, if I'm in better shape than you, then that's a problem because your gimmick is that you're in such great shape. But it definitely was like a backhanded, like, well, fuck you too, Hector. <laughs> You're like, did the gobbly Googler just in fucking insult the me? Gobbly Googler just called me fat. What the fuck happened? <laughs> I think that's going to be the perfect thing to end on. Hey, man, this has been such an absolute pleasure. I know we tried to do it a little bit ago, but the people can find you. Um, I'm not going to plug our shit. If you're listening to this, obviously you listen to our other shit. Or at least I hope so. But tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, but yeah, man, it's been such a pleasure. Um, did you give them all your social handles? I just want to make sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, just one more time. If you're looking to find me, uh, Bastard Son Rios on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find my tag team, The Coda. We are The Coda on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we have a pro wrestling tea site with all of our fun designs. Uh, and if you're looking to book us, we are at wearethecoda at gmail.com. And if you want to check out my podcast, we're Demon Road Diaries, uh, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor, and Spotify. Ah, uh, yes. Well, hopefully I get to see you soon. Um, like I said, I know you're coming to the GCC, ah, GCC, GCW show. Um, and yeah, man, it's been such a pleasure. Kevin, anything else from you, man? Hey, I just want to say thank you very much, man. I thoroughly enjoyed being able to sit down and talk with you. I, I really, I really appreciate your story. Uh, I really appreciate, you know, your insights. I hope that we get to do this again. Uh, I, w- I just want to say thank you. I mean, from a 5'8 heartthrob to a 5'10 <laughs> heartthrob, man, this has been wonderful. Yeah, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me.